Good morning. Uh, my name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's, uh, it's a real joy to be able to uh, bring God's Word uh, to us this morning. I grew up thinking I had a horrible singing voice, and so I always felt bad about singing loud at church. Uh, but having grown up and seen how marvellous God is, I now have no apologies for the people standing in front of me. So I'm so sorry for my singing voice. Uh, but the Lord Jesus is, uh, is worthy. Um, uh, we're going to be continuing uh, with our next instalment in this planted series. As those planted in Christ, like deep roots going into the soil, that's what we want to be, those planted in Christ. And we want to be those who see fruit multiplied among us. And there's five particular fruit that we've identified that we've been looking through in this series um, that we always want to be seeing multiplied among us, uh, but particularly in light of being at the start of a new year. And so this morning we're going to be looking at ministry, uh, what it means for us to be those who serve others, who serve Christ um, above ourselves. Uh, And so to do that, we're going to look at John chapter 13. So can I encourage you to have it out in front of you somehow, uh, whether it's a Bible, a phone, uh, welcome to look along on the screens as well. Uh, But we're going to start there and then we'll crack into it from there. John chapter 13, verses 1 through to 20. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. 
I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Let's pray. Father, we give you great thanks for the gift of your word to us and how it puts before us your glorious son, Jesus. We ask now that you would work powerfully by your spirit to help us see indeed how marvelous he is and might that transform our hearts, our minds, our lives as we consider what it means to serve you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's nothing quite like a good mafia movie. They've got all the exhilaration of an action film, car chases, gunfights, assassinations, all the rest of it. But at the same time, they have all the spice of a high school drama. That person said that about me. Well, we're not talking to them anymore. They're not part of the family. This person made a joke about my mum. How dare he? I will... Shoot him. What's interesting about them is how different they are from the life that I live. Mafia families, mafia bosses, infiltrating the unions and the police department. All that is worlds apart from my life of grocery shopping and sipping coffees. Yet at the same time, they were a very real thing. Uh, not that long ago as well, maybe 50, 60 years ago, maybe a few more decades than that. They were in full operation in cities in a Western country. One of the interesting things about these movies is they almost always have a dinner table scene, probably in one of the restaurants that they own. Uh, there's a mafia boss sitting there and he's got uh, people sitting around him, nice suit on, he's eating his steak. He's got the people who are most loyal to him sitting closest. It's, it's lieutenants, the loyal, trusted friends. Then, of course, there's always the young pup trying to squeeze his way into the mafia family and earn his stripes. And you can't help but sense some of the tension that exists in these scenes. One step out of line. Make one move to even accidentally dishonour or displease the boss could find yourself dead within the week. The boss holds all the power and he's not afraid of using it to protect his honour and his position. Our passage this morning is set around a dinner table and there's one person at this table, as we'll see in a minute, who holds all the power and there's also a snitch sharing bread with them. We're in the middle of our series, as I mentioned before, planted. In 2024, we want to be those who are firmly planted in Christ. And as a result of our deep roots in Him, we want to be those who flourish together in Christ. We want to be a community passionately magnifying God. We want to be those who are deeply being matured in Christ. We want to be those who authentically belong to one another. 
Next week, we're going to be looking about what it means for us to faithfully hold out the word of truth, the gospel, to the world around us. And this week, we're looking at what it would be for us to be engaged in the work of ministry together. That's our hope. That's what we're going to spend our time doing. As disciples of Christ, rooted and planted in him, we want to be a community engaged in doing the work of ministry together. To put it another way, though, uh, we're not a church where the pastors, elders and deacons, plus maybe a few of you extra special ones, do the work of ministry while everyone else rocks up to benefit. No, far from it. Yes, there's something distinct about those roles in the life of the church and so on. But what we're talking about here is this. Disciples of Jesus, joyfully engaged in humble and sacrificial service of Jesus and others. Disciples of Jesus, joyfully engaged in humble and sacrificial service of Jesus and others. To help us in thinking about this, we're turning to John chapter 13, and we're going to spend our time there this morning to let God teach us about this subject. Let's get into it. We return to the dinner table scene of John 13, and we're going to start by noticing some key details in verse 2 and verse 3. Verse 2 tells us, that the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, to betray Jesus. Here is the betrayer, the unloyal weasel who's yielded to Satan, Satan's temptation. And he's shown himself to be an absolute sellout. He's chosen to believe the lie sold to him by Satan and to stab Jesus in the back. Do we know exactly what it was that Satan used to pull Judas in that direction. Maybe it was the financial gain he would receive. Maybe it was the status or the sense of importance that he would receive for doing something like this. We don't know. But we do know that whatever lie of Satan he was presented with, he believed it. So there's Judas. But also sitting at the table, looking at verse 3, is Jesus. Have a look at what it is that John draws our attention to in that verse. He says, Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. See, Jesus knows that the Father, God, the creator of heaven and earth, had given all things into his hands. He had come from God and was going back to God. And although John wants to draw attention to Jesus' hands for some reason, his flesh and his blood, the, the dirt beneath his nails, his two thumbs, his eight fingers, his very human hands, it's very clear here that it's not just another human person. This is Jesus, the divine Son of God. Yes, fully human, human in every way, but also God, whose hands contain the authority to give life and to take it away, to judge the living and the dead, the hands that hold the power to create universes, 
There is only one boss at this table who holds all the power. That Jesus doesn't turn to Judas and strike that man down with divine wrath and fury in an instant is utterly shocking. Here is his betrayer. Jesus had opened his heart and his life to this man. But what does Jesus do? Verse 4, Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. To wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Peter's response says it all, doesn't it? Lord, do you, do you wash my feet? You're going, you're going to take the position of my slave. No, 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 Jesus. You don't get to do that to me. He says it much firmer in the, in the following verse. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus has two responses to Peter that draw our attention to the significance of what's going on here. He says, verse 7, right now you won't understand. Only afterwards. After what? Well, this is Jesus pointing forward. Jesus pointing forward to what's about to happen. Judas will soon betray Jesus. He'll tell the Jewish leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, where he is. They will take him. They will bind him, take him through an absolute joke of a trial. They will condemn this innocent man, Jesus, to a death sentence. He would then be flogged, beaten, utterly humiliated, hung on a cross, left to die. And yes, the physical brutality and anguish of this crucifixion would have been extreme. The Romans were specialists in pain and torture. But Jesus is here dying the death of a substitute. All the filth and dirt of human sin and rebellion were placed on this innocent Jesus. All the filth and the muck that we have caused, you and me have caused, were laid on him. And Jesus took not only the death of a human judge, but the death sentence from heaven. The divine judge, God himself, pours out divine justice upon this innocent man, Jesus, fully man, fully God. This is what the foot washing is all about. And it's what's lying underneath what Jesus is saying there in verse 8. If I do not wash you, you have no share of me. You see, Jesus became the filth and dirt as our substitute 
so that we could be made clean. We're thinking this morning about what it means for us to be a church joyfully, humbly engaged in doing ministry and for one another, for our Lord Jesus, to engage in effectively serving Christ and serving others. But there's one thing we must not forget. Never forget. Christianity is first and foremost a religion about the ministry of one man. It's about one person's act of service. So here's what every Christian needs to come to grips with. And by the way, if, if you're not a Christian here or you're new to Christianity, we're thrilled you're here. This is going to help you understand what is right at the heart of the Christian faith. The Christian faith requires that you embrace Christ's gracious, merciful, kind offer to take on the role of being your slave. It feels so wrong to say, doesn't it? That Christ, the Lord of glory, would be my slave. Take on the role of serving my interests. But it's true. Christ emptied himself. He took on the form of a slave. He embraced humiliation and death to cleanse me. To cleanse you. You know that awkward moment when you're sitting at a cafe or a restaurant with someone and you're about to order in for lunch or morning tea, whatever it is, and there's that little moment of awkwardness that's there. Who's going to pay for the food? Is it a split bill situation? Is, is one person going to cover it? You kind of, you know, hover at the tea for a long time. The awkwardness is, the awkwardness is there because we don't like the idea of someone paying for us. What are they going to think? Are they going to think I'm a, a cheapskate? Or... But how about the Lord of glory paying in full what was required to save you from your sin? Christ has done it all. You and me, we dropped the ball. But Christ has done what was needed. He paid the price to make us clean. Do you know who has no problem with accepting someone else paying for them? Homeless people. Poor people. It's because they recognise their desolation. They, they recognise their need. Have you recognised that about yourself yet? You and I are a mess. Your heart, my heart, is desolate. Sin and evil stain every human heart, my heart and yours. We need cleansing. And that's what Christ has offered to us in his work on the cross. And it's really helpful here because this gives us a really clear sense of what Christianity is not as well. 
See, Christianity is not about cleaning yourself up so that you can make yourself presentable to God somehow. As if it were even possible. No, you are a mess and you need Christ to clean you. That is the Christian message in Christ. You don't need to get clean to get in the shower. You get into the shower to get clean. And the other thing to note here is this, particularly as we think about what it means to be engaged in works of ministry, serving one another, serving Christ. This part of the Christian faith never changes. Christianity is always primarily about what Christ has done for us, not what we have done for Christ. God doesn't care how long you've served him in the past. He doesn't give you an extra status, as though there were anything extra he could, could give you, by the way. There is no outpaying Jesus. He has paid everything, and you get the privilege of serving him. There's no hierarchy. There's no working up the ladder of pleasing Jesus. So let's get this order straight once and for all. Christianity is about Christ serving us. It's the ministry of one person serving us through his death and resurrection. It's Christ cleaning our feet. And it's a truth that we grab a hold of more and more. It's a truth and a reality that becomes more compelling, more captivating, more marvellous the more we consider it. He served us. We started this morning uh, looking at the humility of Christ, his humility to take on the form of a servant to serve us. But you'll notice that he turns the conversation turns the conversation at verse 12 and he starts to head towards what does this mean for us as the disciples of Jesus let's follow along with what he says this is after Jesus has washed the disciples feet after his interaction with Peter he says verse 12 do you understand what I've done to you verse 13 you call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am And we'll just take a little pause just to notice there's a little hint here to tell us that what Jesus is saying to his disciples around that table is actually relevant to us. We also call Jesus Lord and teacher, don't we? And so what Jesus says here isn't just something relevant to the disciples. This is something that for all of us as those who pledge allegiance to Jesus. Moving on, verse 14 If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus is again giving his disciples understanding. 
He's helping them understand that his washing their feet, yes, as we've made very clear, is ultimately something pointing to his death and resurrection, his act of service to us. It's primarily that. But it's also a truth and reality that profoundly transforms us as his followers. The logic goes like this. If Jesus, their Lord and teacher, our Lord and teacher, went down to the very bottom of the pit, the pit of humiliation and shame to serve them, then what distance would be too far down that pit for us to go in serving him? There is no distance, isn't there? Our whole lives, in fact, in response to what he's done for us, ought to be a life of service to him. How could it, how could it be any other way? He gave everything. The divine Lord of glory, Son of God. Any cost that I take on in serving another is a drop compared to the ocean of humiliation that Christ took upon himself to serve you and I. I can remember being a young boy. Uh, some of you are thinking, oh, you're still a young boy. Um, but yeah, there we go. Uh, I can remember being a young boy. It was probably early high school at the time. I was at that age when your parents lose the cool factor. Uh, you know, they start asking you to park down, three, three streets down from school, let you walk there because they don't want their friends to see you kiss and hug them, uh, all that kind of thing. Uh, you know, they've got an image to maintain uh, now and it was, uh, it was that phase of life that I found myself in. And it was, you know, there was a shift, you know, it was the cool, young, independent, young adults that became the most compelling people around. They were the ones that I wanted to spend time with. They were the ones that I wanted to, to try and chat with. And maybe, just maybe, one time they might chat back to me. Anyway, it was around that time I made one of the biggest decisions of my life, which no doubt had tremendous implications for my life. It was at that time I put my faith and trust in the Richmond Football Club and gave my life to them as a loyal supporter. And no doubt, I have a lot of, may, just made a lot of enemies here this morning. So sorry. Uh, but maybe there's a few of you who I've made, you know, special relationships with just because of that. But what's interesting is that as I grew older, I started to think, why on earth do I support this club? I have zero connection to them at all. Yet for some reason, here I was having pledged my loyalty to them. And as I thought about it, it really came down to this. There were a handful of a few cool, whatever that means, young, adult, young adults who were in the circles of my life, Richmond supporters, and they were Richmond supporters. And I wanted to be just like them. They were the most compelling people I knew. And so I was like, I want to do what they're doing. And it's because I was compelled by them that I became like them. You know the old saying, if, if they walked off the edge of a cliff, would you follow them? Well, I probably would have at this stage. 
Friends, surely you can see where this is going, can't you? The more we see who Jesus is, the more we come to grips with what it is that he's done for us in washing our feet, in taking on death and humiliation for us, the more we catch what that is really about, it's a no-brainer. We want to be just like him. Where he goes, we want to go. What he does, we want to do. He's the most compelling person in the universe. And so one of the great joys of being a Christian is that we stand amazed at him. We stand amazed in his presence as we bask in what it is that he's done for us. As those planted in Christ, he is who we will grow to be like more and more. We'll grow to be those who serve. And it won't be a burden. It will actually be a joy for us to join Jesus in what he's doing, to be like him. We'll do it not for our own sake, but for the sake of others. To bring this to a close, let's consider together two ways that this attitude will manifest itself among us. The first is this. We will be so bent on serving the interests of others above our own in a million unseen ways. No one's going to see you make a meal for a family who's doing it tough that week. No one's going to see you make absolute sure that that person who's new at church this morning gets a, a warm welcome and hello from you. No one's going to see how you prayed every day that week for that person who needed it. No one's going to see the cost you took upon yourself to open your mouth and to speak the truth of the gospel to someone still dead in their sins. No one's going to see those things. No one's going to keep score. But it's who we are as disciples of Christ. It's, it's in our DNA. It's just what we do. Try, try and stop us. It'll be the inclination of our heart as we plant ourselves more deeply in Christ that will manifest itself amongst us. We don't need to ask each other permission for that. It's just the inclination of our hearts. But secondly, we'll also be a community of people eager to offer ourselves to serve as part of a team in one of the ministries of the church. Uh, I'm going to get you to put your seatbelts on. I'm going to try and list out as many ministries amongst the life of the church as possible. Are you ready? Here we go. We've got GBC Kids, GBC Youth, GBC Young Adults, our Golden Ages Ministry, Craft, Playgroup, a Mission Team, Girls Brigade, Morning Tea, Welcome, 
barista team, connect team, music team, sound desk teams, commun communion preparation teams, communion distribution teams, money counting teams. We have people helping with growth groups, with D groups, with GBC men, GBC women. We have different projects happening throughout the life of the church. We have Easter services, carols, events, uh, different one-off jobs that need doing around the church. We have deacons who are busy serving the church in different ways. We have a church that functions as each person serves in different ways. And as every part, every person plays their part in joyful, humble, sacrificial service, the church builds itself up in love. It's already been indicated that we've uh, set up two tables at the back of the church. There's one in this foyer, there's one in that foyer. And they've got uh, little pens and forms on there. Uh, and all it's asking for is your name, your mobile number, and your email. By filling in that form, what you're doing is this, is you're saying, I'd love to have a chat with someone about serving at GBC in one of those ministries. Just to clarify, it's not committing to anything. It really is just having a conversation. We want to hear from people. We want to, we want to say, oh, God's gifted you in this way and God's given you these experiences and, and God's put it on your heart to serve in this way. Well, let's, let's try and match that up with the different needs that exist in the life of the church and see if we can find a place for you to serve. So let me, let me try to frame this a little bit. If you are someone who calls GBC home, this is your church, the people you belong to under Jesus, and for whatever reason, and just to clarify, this isn't, a matter of trying to leverage any sense of guilt you might feel. But just for whatever reason, you haven't found yourself serving in a ministry in the life of our church. And not just that, but if you have seen this morning from God's word that Christ humbled himself in serving us, that you might want to think about how you serve the church. If you've received that from God's word this morning... Can I urge you to grab one of those forms? You know, fill out the simple details that are there. There's a, there's a box on that table that you can put it on. There'll be two people collecting the forms at that table that you can just hand it to. Can I encourage you to consider doing that this morning? As we said, we want to put these opportunities regularly before us as those who call themselves disciples of Jesus here at GBC. Because we really do believe that Jesus calls us to do the ministry of building one another up, of advancing the gospel, of gathering together. It really is every one of us who's engaged in doing the work of ministry. One last clarification on that is we're also aware that different people find themselves in different life stages and situations where Serving in a particular ministry is just is not realistic. just want to say that's fine. Jesus wants you to be faithful with what you have, the life stage you're in, and, and all of that sort of thing. And Jesus does honour that. But we do want to urge you, give yourself to the work of building up Christ's church. It takes a bit of wisdom, a bit of thought, but we ask that you would prayerfully consider that this morning. What have we seen this morning? We saw that Christ himself, God, the divine son of God, took on human flesh. He embraced the humiliation, the anguish, 
of a death taking away our sin. He's the one who has served us. He washed our feet and he calls to follow him in his ways. Let's close in prayer. We give you thanks, our God and Father, for sending your son Jesus to take on a human nature. And not only that, but to head towards a death on a cross where he would not only endure the physical pain and anguish and the shame and humiliation, but he would also absorb in himself the wrath and justice that we deserve for our sin. We stand amazed before you that you are a God who does that for us. Please help us as your disciples, followers of Jesus, to think about how we can use our whole lives in service of Jesus. Help us, particularly this morning, as we've thought about what that would mean for us here at GBC, as those who call this church home. We ask that you would fill us with your spirit, fill us with all wisdom and insight for these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.